welcome this morning. It is 9.33. We're going to start in Psalm 32. We are talking about confession of sin, and I am not teaching, so I'm just opening this up. So let's go to Psalm 32 together. Let's hear the word of the Lord, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to talk about the gospel for a second, and then get to our uh, content. Psalm 32 says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed by, with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the heart. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to know you. What a blessing it is to know your son. What a blessing it is to know the forgiveness of our sins because of his work, because of his plan, your plan, because of the spirit within us. Lord, we are grateful for all that you have done for us. Now, Lord, I, I pray that you would focus our hearts this morning, that you would help us to learn about confession and why it's a good thing. Lord, you say in your word that when David held on to his sin, his bones wasted away and he felt your heavy hand. But when he confessed with his mouth, his transgression was forgiven. And that hand was lifted. Lord, we let us, let us feel that this morning. Let us know it in our hearts. Let us lean into your forgiveness for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. So I, I, I venture to say that forgiveness of sins is pretty important. It's kind of everything, isn't it? And because it's everything, we started there with Psalm 32. So here's what I want to know from you. How can I have forgiveness of sins? In other words, what is the gospel? Last week I went through a really long presentation of it. But this week I want to hear from you guys. What is the gospel? How can I be saved from my sins? Confess. Confess what? Your sin. To whom? To God. Based on what? His word. 
Okay, we're missing the person. What's the good news of Jesus Christ? That he paid my sin debt. The gospel is simply, uh, if I were to break it down to the simplest terms, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Who came as a baby, incarnate, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, right? Gloriously was resurrected on the third day. And 40 days later, he ascended to heaven. And now he pleads for me and you as we lean into him and trust him for the forgiveness of sins. What is the gospel? The good news of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. How do you share the gospel? You have to share it with presenting the problem. You have sin, just like Steve was saying. You have sin. That's a transgression against God. That's a problem between you and God. It's a chasm that has separated you from God because you want to do what you want to do and you don't want to acknowledge who God is. And so you need somebody to fix that chasm because without that fixing of that chasm, we cannot be saved from our sins. That sin condemns us to an eternal wrath, an eternal punishment for our sins because we have rejected the God of creation. God of forgiveness. And so, to have that forgiveness, we must believe that Jesus paid for that. We sang that song last week, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin and left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Right? That, that in and of itself is the effect of the gospel, right? The washing of our souls from sin. So, I'm going to keep asking every week, what is the gospel? And I would love to hear from you, what is the gospel? What is it that you share to somebody when they say, what must I do to be saved? They may not say it just like that, but what is it that you say? So with that, I want to, I want to uh, move on into what is it that we have to do? We must repent and believe, right? We must confess our sins. And once we confess our sins the first time to the Lord... Confession is actually an ongoing process. So we're going to hear about that confession of sins this morning from my brother Mike. Uh, He is going to come up and he's going to share with us the first half of this lesson. Jared's going to do the second half of the lesson next week. So would you guys give him your undivided attention? And if you need one of these, I will come and bring it to you right now. Thank you, Court. Yeah, as Corey said, we'll be talking confession the next, at least the next two weeks. Um, we'll see how far we get today, and then Corey, or uh, um, Jared will be teaching next week um, on the topic as well. So today we're, we're hitting the first two sections. Um, so if you do have the handout, um, you have a little cheat sheet. Use it unashamedly to answer questions, to, to keep the conversation going. Um, and we're just going to be going over um, section one and section two. So introduction and to whom and what should we confess. Um, and then within the introduction, we'll be hitting three points. Two meanings of confession. Confession results in forgiveness because of Christ. And then necessity of repentance for confession. Uh, a couple disclaimers. It's going to be a lot of sword drills today. Um, so be, have your Bible ready. We'll be looking at scripture Um, We'll be sort of taking a lot of uh, single verses, maybe two verses out of Old Testament, New Testament, um, 
I, I like to take things in context, so I'll try to elaborate where that verse is coming from within the context. So we're not just, just using um, one sentence for sort of our own, um, own purposes. Um, also, I'm not the best at pausing for questions or comments, so feel free to interrupt and just shout out if there's something you want to add. Uh, that would be awesome. So, um, who can tell me an easy question, don't overthink this, two definitions, two uses of confess in the Bible or confession? Not a trick question at all. It's on your hand. It's on your hand. David. Psalms, you just read Psalm 32. Yeah, so that's an actual example. Yes, so confessing sins. What's another way that the word confess is used? That's not necessarily confessing your sins or confession of transgression. Yes, yes. so like a profession, an understanding of I confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's your profession. That's And that could, that's not just a, a biblical term. You could profess any religion, um, any belief. Um, so the first place we see profession of sin is actually Leviticus 5, 5. Um, so this is where the law surrounding sin offerings, guilt offerings is explained. Um, I'll just read this one. Uh, when he realizes his gift, his guilt in any of these and confesses a sin, he is committed. So this is the first usage of confession in the Old Testament. Um, and an example of profession, the other, the other term, is Hebrews uh, 3.1. Um, this is Paul explaining to the Hebrews why Jesus is greater than, than Moses. Uh, Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Um, so as, as Corey alluded to, we will be focusing on the confession of sins, um, what that means for us, what that means as a church, um, and sort of walking through the, the main points there. <clears throat> so the, the second point within the introduction, uh, confession results in forgiveness because of Christ, emphasis on because of Christ. Uh, does somebody want to look up 1 John 1.9 for us and read that? This is where John is discussing Walking the light, since God is in the light, and what that means for us. So, First John one nine. Sure. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So yeah, when we confess our sins with a repentant heart, emphasis on repentant heart. We'll 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 hit on that real soon. God will forgive us. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, later, we're going to discuss. Um, how confession can accomplish reconciliation with another person, um, with the church at large. But according to First uh, John one nine, how does God forgive us? So this is again, Corey sort of alluded to this and was bringing this point out. So how how can how can God forgive us according to that verse? What about His character allows it, His forgiveness? Yeah, faithful and just. But if we're sinning. How can you just like, okay, you're good, like, no problem, how's that just? That's, that's, not, that's not a just statement unless, exactly, there's payment, and, and, and the justice has been made. Um, so because of the death of his son. Let's look at a couple more texts that um, sort of expound upon this. So Matthew, can I get somebody to read? Matthew 26, 28, uh, this is where Jesus is sharing the, 
the Lord's uh, Supper with his disciples, Matthew 26, 28. Yeah, go ahead. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. So forgiveness of sins, result of blood being poured out. This is how God forgave through the blood of Jesus. Let's look at Romans 10, 9. Um, Paul is speaking about the salvation is both for Jews and Gentiles in this passage. So Romans 10, 9, I have somebody to, to read that. I know I'm having you guys flip, flip all over the place. Yeah, Rex. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yeah, I, I, I love this verse. Um, this is part of like the, the Romans road, if you guys memorize sort of the um, evangelizing sort of stream of verses that sort of walk you through the gospel. Um, this verse is really cool in this, in this conversation because it does highlight both meanings of confess as well. So confession of sin is necessary to receive forgiveness of God from God. And this forgiveness is only possible if we confess or profess Christ as Lord and Savior. So you see both meanings, Paul, Paul elaborates on both meanings, um, an understanding of there is a confession, there is, there is an asking and a recognition of um, transgression, but it's only if we confess Jesus as Lord and claim him as our uh, atoning sacrifice to receive that forgiveness. <clears throat> So confession results in forgiveness because of Christ. Any any comments or questions regarding this before we move on to the next point? Can we have forgiveness without confession? Can we have forgiveness without confession? Question. Anybody? That's a good lead on to the next point, actually. Without, without, I think the problem with it is not that you can't that forgiveness is not possible, but you don't know you're being forgiven of, so it would be unjust to not have confession. Can you, can you forgive without no, a personal one? Yeah. Okay, that's totally different. You, another person, you're saying? Yeah. Can you forgive somebody <clears throat> without confession coming from them? I'll say yes. So, yes, but it's going to be most of the time it's through us giving it over to God to allow Him us the ability to forgive that person if they have not made the apology. But it's still us and God. Well, we ultimately God. Because our human nature is being like, oh, no, I'm not forgiving you. You didn't ask. And we build up all that stuff. So, um, turn it over to God and let Him do this. It's yes and no. The transaction has to happen for true, for true, for that to completely be finalized. Does that make sense? Like forgiveness has to actually happen in the transaction at some level. We we forgive like Christ has forgiven us. Then the transaction happens. We acknowledge our sin. He forgave our sins, right? But but there's this like partnership of being forgiving and willing to forgive. Not hanging on to bitterness that we have to have because of what Christ has done for us. So it's a posture and it's a transaction. It's a both and. Yeah, and and I mean, as as a non-believer, I mean, you can you can forgive another non-believer. They they wrong you. You can 
I forgive you. I still love you. Like we've made atonement or we've made things right, but there's still unspoken or unaccounted for sin in that person's life that has not been. So I think on an earthly level, for sure. Um, and, and that can, like you said, it can go one way. Even if they aren't repentant, you can still forgive and forgive and forget. Um, but there, there isn't a, a forgiveness of sin or a right with the, the creator. Um, it's still lacking. I think in the light of the way I hear a lot of people, people who call themselves Christians talking, it's important to accentuate in this area, in this, at this point, owning the sinfulness of our sin, rather than just how often do we hear people talk about God forgives us for the mistakes we make. I mean, it's an obvi obviously, it is a mistake. To, to choose to walk, to go a, a way other than that which the living God has commanded. But it's more than just a mistake. Yeah. It is yeah. it is offense. Yeah. It is yeah. guilt. And owning that is a part of confessing because confession, technically the term means name the same. Call it the same thing God does. Mm. And because he is the Lord, the definer of good and evil, and we need to conform to his understanding of what's happening. Yeah. yeah, it's in hatred. It's a it's a hatred for the sin that God also hates and his understands. And it's easy to, and this is perfect for moving on to the next point, but it's it's easy to, okay, like, have your have your daily prayer time or throughout the day and you're confessing things and it becomes very, like, rote, mechanical, un, unbought in. You're not emotionally Engage. You're just going through the motions because that's what you've done your whole life. Um, so there's a, there's what's okay. This is great. So what is what is lacking in that situation? If you sin, if you rebel against God, there's transgression in your life, and you God God I screwed up here. Forgive me. Cool. All right. Let's keep going. And there's there's not a change of heart. What do we what are we missing? What is probably the most important sign of true confession in a Christian's life? Repentance. Awesome. So a repentant heart. Repentance. Um, confession must be accompanied by repentance. And a repentant spirit, a repentance posture, and 99, maybe 100% of the time that's followed by an action, whether it's done outwardly or in the heart. So confession must be accompanied by repentance. Listen, we're going to uh, look at Ezra 10. Um, when somebody's looking at and this is, I'll actually just read this, but, uh, um, so Ezra is speaking to all the men of Judah and Jerusalem, um, from the exile about their sin of marrying foreign women. So they gather them, they give them like three days or like everybody comes here, or if you don't come here, then you forfeit all your belongings to, to the church essentially. Um, and in the second sentence that Ezra in his um, address to the people, the second, ses the second sen sentence to all these men, he makes his point very clear of repentance. So Ezra 10, 11, first half of the verse. Now then, make confession of the sin of, of taking on uh, foreign wives. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Emphasis on do his will. Um, have a change of heart. There's there's action to be taken. There's a, there's a repentant um, posture that is needed 
to confess, have true confession. So a determination to obey God, to do his will, is necessary to complement confession. And I want to, uh, in, in the notes of this, this, uh, this lesson, he uses the term complement. I want that, to, that almost sounds like a cherry on top, like in addition, I would say in order to like make it possible. Like I don't think it's really possible unless you have a repentant spirit and there's, there's action to be taken. <clears throat> um, okay, Acts 319. Can I get somebody to look that up for me? Um, so this is where Peter heals the lame beggar and then is preaching to the crowd after they all um, come running amazed what's going on. Um, this verse highlights what God demands um, or that God demands repentance to receive his forgiveness. So just another, another example of how this is emphasized. So Acts 319. Sweet. So repent, therefore, and right away, turn back. So it's not repent and continue on. So he says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come for the, from the presence of the Lord. So it's not repent, therefore, your sins have been blotted out. It's repent, therefore, or repent, therefore, and turn back. So repent is turning back. There's an action to be done. It's a physical posture. It's a, it's, a, it's a state of being for true confession. Um, confession is not genuine if it is not accompanied by a determination to live your life differently. God examines the heart, and if there is genuine repentance, God promises to forgive even the most heinous of sins. The repentance is required for true confession leading to forgiveness. Any questions, comments, or repentance? I think one thing that uh, has helped me here understand this a little bit more deeply is the fact that like a lot of us, we repent for specific things, right? Um, I repent for going over the speed limit, officer. I won't do that again. Uh, but I think that that's not what the Bible's necessarily talking about. It's actually talking about the sinfulness of sin. It's actually living in a heart posture of repentance. Right? So it's not that I just repented and it's all over. It's that I am living in repentance, and that's the involving on the walking the other direction. You know, uh, I'm turning back and turning right. And that, that idea of uh, God doesn't ask for a man who has repented, He asks for man after, after his heart who will live a life of repentance. It's an ongoing thing. While it seems semantic, it's, yeah. no. it's kind of what the Bible is talking about. Yeah, and we won't um, dive into it too much today. I know, I think Jerry will, but <clears throat> and it really, it really comes down to the heart. Like Christianity, in the roots, is a relationship with the Lord on the heart level, not not the action level, not the word level. Those are all fruits and evidences, but it, it all comes down to the heart posture. Um, and that's the same with, with confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Um, the Lord examines the heart. So he's, he's seeing what is, what is truly behind this, these actions, these words, these thoughts, these prayers. Um, and there is absolutely complete forgiveness 
whatever sin you can imagine um, as a result of the Lord examining the heart. Um, so repentance has an absolute uh, front, front seat in this idea of confession leads to forgiveness if it's followed uh, or complimented or is there with, with confession. Um, okay, so second point. So that was sort of an intro to confession. Uh, we gave sort of a definition. Um, we looked at what was what was required, what it is, why God can do it. Um, and now we're, we're going to start diving in a little bit deeper. So uh, the second topic we're going to be discussing today, and we'll see how far we get, but to whom and what should we confess? Um, the first one's pretty, pretty obvious. Um, who, first person we're going to confess to is God. Um, makes sense. It's God's law. He's the lawgiver, so we must confess confess to the lawgiver to 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 find reconciliation, even when the sin isn't isn't directed towards God. Even when the sin is directed towards someone else, um, he's ultimately it's ultimately still against God and His law. So we're going to look at Psalms fifty one four. If somebody wants to turn there and read that to us, once they get there. Psalm fifty one four. It's wrong in the notes. Oh, it's wrong in the run. Okay. It's wrong in the notes. Okay. Okay. Page one four. Page one four. Yeah. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So yeah, although David has clearly sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, um, he, he's praying to God. He understands and recognizes and has an understanding of sin that it's not directed towards, I mean it is directed towards for sure, for an individual uh, in sort of on our level, but he still is seeking forgiveness from the lawgiver, um, from God, um, for his transgression. Um, he praised God acknowledging his sin, um, and it was ultimately against him. So, like, like Cor was saying um, a second ago, this, this really flows from a biblical understanding of sin, a mature understanding of sin, what sin is. It's not an abstract, I did something wrong, something, something's not right, I don't feel good about this. It's, it's always against, it's always a, a, a direct rebellion against a perfect and holy God. Um, it's, it's, I, I'm not trying to say there isn't weird gray areas that, that are hard to tackle and, um, it's all black and white, but when it comes down to it, it's, it, sin, the definition of sin is transgression or rebellion against a holy and perfect God. Um, sin is not merely doing something wrong. It's a rebelling against God. So we were made in God's image, um, as bearers of his image in order to glorify him. So Paul describes in Romans 3.23 as falling short of God's glory. So essentially sin is self-worship and is rebellion against the sovereign God. <clears throat> is not <clears throat> fit within um, God's, God's desired will for our, for our life. It's rebellion against him and then self-worship. Um, so a mature understanding of what sin is allows us to, us, allows us to fully understand it. 
Um, and there, take, take the right steps to acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it, and come to um, a right relationship with others and also God. <clears throat> Any questions and comments? I think that's really important, especially for me when I, when I understood, when I was thinking about what sin was, that helped me come to a more of a brokenness or more of a sin than Because what it was, was God. Yeah. That's very important. Yeah, sort of like you were alluding to earlier, Rex, is like having this, this state, the heart, um, the right heart attitude to understand what this means in God's eyes. And are we experiencing that same <clears throat> sorrow, that same, that same pain for this sin, or is it just, are we brushing it off as another, everybody else does this, this is, this is how the world works, this is what I am. <clears throat> that goes also to the fact that the sin, we, we, at least I have heard many times over the years, sin is the root, sins are the fruit. And the idea there is, it's not just the act that I need to be repentful, repentant for. I need to be repentant for the fact that I am the kind of person. I am the person who would choose that act because I still have the flesh within me. And, and that is something that I need to grieve over. I need to be sorrowful over the presence of that sinful nature or that sinful flesh within me. Of course he is. Yeah. I, I love the going off point by saying I love the definition of rebellion against God. Just the idea that um, at the root, it's not just the fact of like you're saying what we've done, but it's a relate it's the fact of we are disdaining God. We don't want to live under his authority. We're not we don't care about his ways. That's really the difference between somebody who has that repentant heart, right? They're not concerned about I just broke this one rule. They're concerned about did I am I pleasing my father? Am I am I actually going after him, or am I am I displeasing him? That's kind of that's kind of like a big difference. So I think the rebellion against God aspect of sin is like completely key. Like you point out, it's really a helpful. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, seeing the, the the part in Psalms that we just read about with David, and <coughs> other instances like Ananias and Sapphira and Acts. Peter doesn't say, hey, you sinned against us, the church. You sinned against God. They withheld the money on purpose, and they sinned against God. And then they get struck dead. I mean, it's a serious offense, sinning, just serious. Uh, and it, it's because it's a, it's serious because it's who it's against. And it's ultimately up against God. But it also, when you think of sin in this way, it also allows us to glorify God a lot more and to praise him a lot more for the forgiveness of that sin. So if you can if you can understand sin in its right place, you can understand forgiveness in a much better place. Yeah, and it really comes down to the heart. It really comes down to a heart understanding is their sorrow, is their joy. And and the Lord sees that. Like you're not you're not tricking Christ, the maker of the universe, um, with with what you're saying or what you're thinking. Um, often when we talk to our kids after they've, they've uh, disobeyed or they've hit their brother or sister or whatever, they've, they've sinned, 
um, we're really trying to emphasize, like, hey, you you were created by God to be image bearers of God, and this is these are the roles and um, the person that God is trying to make you. And this is not in line with His desire for you. This is this is completely counter or rebellious to His um, His design for you. <clears throat> and sure, like you need to go apologize to Evelyn. She's crying because you hit her, but you are also rebelling and and sinning against God, and he is he is he is feeling sorrow for that. He is sad because he sees his son um, not um, not living into the the man he he he's designed him to be. So um, just to uh, illustrate, yeah, we're trying to really get to the point of this isn't necessarily against people; it's ultimately against against God. Um, the thing I, yep. I think of though. So that the notes are not totally wrong. 54.1 says, Oh God, save me by your name and render justice to me by your might. And then I, I referenced in uh, Matthew 5 uh, 3, where it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, but there is the kingdom of God. This is for the unbeliever, basically, before, to a certain extent, before they become saved in their. That you know they need to be broken, and then they need to confess to God that brokenness that separates them. Yeah, yeah. There is. I mean, the same. <laughs> the way you said it reminded me. Just in the, in the military, it's like boot camp. You break down an individual, so then they're built up in the right way that the military wants them to be built up into. I mean, baptism and and transformation is very 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 similar. It's you need to have a broken spirit, a broken and contrite spirit, to understand your need and your your failings, to then be built up and brought up into the likeness, um, into into God's images, image bearers of God. And that, so there is a, a breaking down and a building up. There is sorrow and there is joy. And I think if you're if you're missing the sorrow, if you're missing the true mature understanding of of sin, then then can you fully reach that full joy? Um, and I would say I would say no. So there's a, bit, there's a big problem when confessing to God, to God, and that's honesty. And this is going to be a common theme through confession is, is honesty, bringing things to the light. And I think this is, when you, when you discuss this, um, and we'll have to wrap up soon, but it, when you discuss being honest to God, it's silly when you, when you talk about it. Like, not being honest to God when you break it down is, is silly. Um, and let's, uh, I'll uh, elaborate why. So we get, we get so good at hiding our sins from others that we sometimes think that we can conceal them from God, the creator of the universe, the one who counts the hairs on our head, that knows every in and out of our thoughts. So in Genesis 3, we see a perfect example of this, Adam and Eve. Um, as soon as they, they sin, they recognize their nakedness, um, their understanding, there's sin in the world, there's sin in creation now, um, there's guilt. And they hide from God. Like again, it's just like it's a it's a pathetic attempt to cover up for what they've done wrong um, by hiding our sins from behind a false image of ourselves. We are ultimately hiding from God. Um, three passages, then we'll have to wrap up. Um, can I get somebody to read? These are these are oh, one's pretty long. Uh, Romans fourteen twelve, Hebrews. 4, 11 to 13, and then 1 Samuel 16, 7. So 
<clears throat> Nothing about us is hidden from God. And one day, everything about us will be made clear to all. So although we attempt to cover up our sins in this life, any hypocrisy by us will eventually be exposed to all. So Romans 14, 12. Do I have anybody able to read that? Sweet. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Account of himself to God. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him whom he must do the and 1 Samuel 16, 7. So the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, so man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So we're going to give an account of ourselves to God. Nothing is hidden. Um... No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed the eye of him to whom we may give account. The Lord looks at not outward appearance, but the heart. Everything's laid bare. Everything's out there and open to the, to the Lord and will be come, come judgment to all. So why, why do we think that we can hide our sin from God? Um, why did Adam and Eve think that there's even any any feasible way that God wouldn't know what was done and, and where their guilt lies. Any comments or questions on that? Well, I think it's just out of fear and shame. Yeah. Well, the time of Adam and Eve is considered a dispensation of innocence. And for Adam and Eve, they had no previous experience or previous knowledge, as far as we know. So their reactions are probably very sublimable. Is that a good word to use? Just sort of now a fallen center reaction without any, without any preconceived notions of what they should do or yeah, was there, did they have a mature understanding of sin? Well, they had yeah. no experience, Probably not. obviously. Leave yeah. first, so. Yeah. And their reactions are probably very intuitive, maybe, as a result of sin letting loose suddenly. Yeah, and often these, these are, often it is our intuition first reaction, non, non, analytical reactions to hiding from God. It's like this shame, this guilt, this 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 fear, and your 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 instinct is to run and hide. And it's not to uh, to it's stand not up and expose yourself. Yeah. As as fallen people, we're not prone to like put ourselves out there and expose ourselves and our sin or our weakness. Yeah, uh, we're singing prone to wander, yeah. Lord. Yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Prone to leave the God I love. Yeah. I mean, so like even 
not just Adam and Eve, but even as we walk in Christian life, we have a tendency to want to hide, cover, or ignore the fact that we have sinned and that we are still in need of Satan. And so uh, that that idea of yeah, sinning against God, we don't want intuitively nor even analytically typically to confess that because it's that's a high offense. It's a high-handed offense. We, we've literally offended the one person in the world and the creation and everything. That can actually do something about that sin. And we have to recognize that the wrath of God, either it comes on that sin and on me, or on that sin and on Christ. And so when we confess our sins to God, we're like we're saying, look what I I understand. Probably wonder where I feel. Probably believe the God I love. Um, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for like what's about. We're we're singing a confession of He's Lord, I'm not. I've sinned against that uh, against Lord, the Lord, and He's the one that can do something about that. Yeah. Justly. Which is there's a there's a there's an arguing point for a non-believer. I mean, they're living in that mindset. They're living in the mindset because ultimately, like, confessing, com- coming to the Lord is confessing your sin. I mean, that's that's a huge pillar of coming to a right understanding and a relationship with Christ. But as a believer who's already accepted, already confessed, already understands that the Lord knows all, there comes a point that, I mean, you need to realize that what your life is and what you you're doing is nothing's hidden. Everything's laid, laid bare and is exposed. But our tendency is to default into the sin nature of I can get I can get away with this. It, it isn't as bad as it might seem. Or um, I'm, I'm you're in denial that you are um, you're at wrong. And like this this is something that that we all that I struggle with all the time is oh that wasn't as bad as that was that was okay. Like they're doing it. Um, wasn't a big deal. Um, so it's it's living in denial. We're gonna wrap it up. Um, there's a little bit more on the the who and what we confess. Uh, we're still gonna elaborate on confessing to the church and as part of the church uh, to each other and then um, with each other. So we'll save that for another day, I guess. Cool. Can I just wrap up? Cool. Can I pray for you guys? That'd be awesome. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, your love. Thank you for your perfect son. Thank you for the atoning sacrifice um, on the cross that that makes gathering like this uh, under one banner possible. Uh, That we can come as sinners probably daily and still um, look at you and claim you and unashamedly um, speak to you. Thank you for your son and that he makes forgiveness possible. Um, I pray that you break our heart, Lord, for what breaks yours, that you bring us to your knee, our knees for what, um, for what we do um, that is not in line with your will and your desire and, and your makeup for us. I pray that our sin is revealed to us um, and that we come to you first and foremost, that we are quick to confess, we are quick to turn and repent, um, and that you transform 
who we are into your likeness. So then one day we are in full, complete, perfect communion with you, with no sin um, in our lives. So I love you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this morning in your name. Amen.